Welcome to Recovery Uncovered, your all things recovery podcast. Recovery Uncovered is produced by MHAB Enterprises, a division of the Northeast Group of Companies located right here in Plattsburgh, New York. I'm your host, Mike Carpenter. Affectionately known as MHAB Mike. And I'm your co-host, Betsy Vicencio. Affectionately known as BV the Normie. We have one goal in these podcasts, and that's not to suck. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our podcast, Women in Recovery. You're going to see me for just a minute, and then I will be exiting and leaving this to Betsy to take care of today's podcast. Betsy will be interviewing two people that I've known for years, Loretta Ritzema and Zadie Lachlan. So it's a girl power day. And the reason I'm excusing myself is the idea of being in a room with Betsy, Loretta, and Zadie for an hour as the only guy was not very appealing to me. So I am going to turn it over to Betsy, and I hope they have a great podcast. Welcome to Recovery Uncovered, our All Things Recovery podcast. This is Episode 7, and our topic today is Women in Recovery. I'm Betsy Vicencio, your host today, and my partner in crime and, uh, and uh, co-host, MHAB Mike, Mike Carpenter, has bagged off and decided not to join us. He may have made some comments that he thought there might be too much estrogen in the room for him, and so he thought he'd leave it to us to have a girl power, girls hour, woman in recovery talk. I have two guests with me today, two fabulous and amazing women. Um, to my immediate right is Loretta Ritzema. She is the president of the Mary DeVoe Foundation, a woman's sober living home in Plattsburgh, New York. Um, and my second guest to my far right is Zadie Lachlan. She is the director of retention support at the UVM Health Network CVPH location for 13 years. Um, so welcome. Wow. Did you not know that about her? Well, I know she works at the hospital. <laughs> and there's, there's works at the hospital, and that covers a whole multitude of things. We're, I think my husband works at the hospital, yes, too, but yes. I'm not sure. Betsy, yes. we are delighted to be here. Welcome. We're, oh, yes. we're so happy to have you with us. So um, this is my first podcast alone, so I can't guarantee you, you what's going to happen or where it's going to go. And you're right, I'm not alone because I have you with mm -hmm. me. So um, I just wanted to review what our goals today are because I want to make sure and I want to speak to our, our hopeful audience that there are, I think, six goals that we're hoping to, uh, to bring forward for you. Um, podcast goal number one, don't, don't suck. Don't suck. Right? That's number one. So we're going to work very hard on not sucking. Number two is that we want to make recovery fun. Okay. We want to, number three, bring information to the masses. Four, I'd like us to uh, bring inspiration to the table. Five, mm -hmm. I want us to just be authentic. We have to be really true to who we are. And with you two in the room, I don't think there's anything uh, less than authenticity that'll come. And then number six, of course, is uh, uh, we want to be entertaining. So <clears throat> <laughs> no pressure, ladies. Let's see, Let's see what we can do. Okay. So um, I, I think that I want to talk, um, at least out of the gate, um, since this podcast is called Recovery Uncovered. Maybe you can just give us a little snippet about um, about your connection to recovery. Lori, you want to launch for us and tell us what your connection to recovery is? 
a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an alcoholic, and I don't drink today. Well, that's good. It is good. That's it is wonderful. good. So far, this has been a very good day. <laughs> I have not picked up a drink, and that's a miracle. We love that. We love that. I'm a recovering alcoholic. My sobriety date is August 4th, 2000. And um, it's been an amazing and miraculous journey. And it just keeps getting better. Love that. Well, now, not in addition to being an alcoholic in recovery for the better part of 20 years now, mm -hmm. almost 21, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think you also... Is that right? Close enough. Okay. Listen, I can do the math. I think I can. Um, but you also do this other small thing on the side for women in recovery. Do you want to talk to us at all about the Mary DeVoe Foundation and the Mary DeVoe um, Sober Living house here in Plattsburgh at all? Um, sure. <laughs> My favorite topic. I love that. Um, well, when I got sober in 2000, I, my friend Sadie brought me to rehab for the second time. <laughs> I got two degrees. Good for yeah, you. Yeah, I'm kind of an overachiever. Look at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I got two degrees from rehab. And uh, after my second time in rehab, um, I was not really welcome back in Plattsburgh. Um, like the whole town was not Probably, back. but <laughs> at the very least um, at 47 Cumberland Avenue, <laughs> my presence was not um, desired or welcomed. So um, I needed to make other arrangements. Um, I'd made quite a mess of things. Yes, I, I, I had... I had created quite a bit of destruction. And um, so I didn't qualify to go to a um, further treatment, a halfway house, but there were, there were these entities called sober living homes, which were just starting to pop up. And uh, the team at my rehab um, found a place in Albuquerque, New Mexico, that was for women in early recovery who got jobs and worked their way um, through the six months that mm -hmm. they were going to live there. And that was an option that I, I seized upon, and not because I wanted to, right. <laughs> but because um, I really didn't have any choice. And I had made a commitment when I surrendered to this disease that I would do anything that was put in my path whether I wanted to do it or not. And clearly this was in my path, so I did it. And it was an amazing experience. And um, when I came home, I thought to myself, there were, there were no sober living entities in um, northern, the northern United States. And I said, if the opportunity ever presents itself, I, God, I would love it if I could create a sober living house here in Plattsburgh. And in 2008, mm -hmm. I had made uh, dinner one night, and no one showed up. And so I made dinner the next night, and no one showed up. And I said, at that point, my kids were, I was eight years sober. My kids were uh, 15, 13, and nine. And I said, OK, I'm done cooking. <laughs> I literally said, I'm done. I'm not going to make meals that, that no one comes home for anymore. Maybe it's time to do the sober living house. Mm -hmm. Really? 
literally. Literally. That was the onus or the engine behind this? Is that? Yep. Those phone calls that, you know, mom, can I stay at Dan's house? Mom, I forgot I've got chorus practice. You know, sorry. Sorry, Laura, I've got a meeting tonight. I'm not going to be home. And I said, well, I'm done cooking. Yep. And um, it's time for you to get cooking on something else. Nice. Look at me. Yeah. Impressive. You got this. You got this. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, um, it started the process, you know, and. Um, so can I ask you a question? Who was who Mary DeVoe? Uh, when I was a kid, uh, my dad was a lawyer and he was an admiralty attorney and he was the um, attorney for a tugboat company in Boston. And uh, the, um, the guy who owned the tugboat company, his wife was a woman named Mary DeVoe. She, had, she was from Appalachia. She had been uh, born into dirt poor conditions. Uh, she was raped when she was 13 and she left. She just left and she made her way to Boston. She had the baby and she lived on her own and managed to support the two of them and put herself through school um, and wound up getting a job as uh, a secretary at this tugboat company. The owner and she fell in love and got married. Mm -hmm. um, and fast forward a few years and he had a heart attack and died. Oh, no. And again, my dad was the lawyer for the company and he had become very good friends with both of them. And so she was going to sell the company because women don't own tugboat companies, obviously. Right. <laughs> and my dad said, Mary, you're the brains behind this operation. You can do this. And if you hold on to this, mm. you are going to retire from this company a millionaire many times over. And I will be by your side to make sure legally that any obstacles are swept out of the way. So she did. And she became something of a fixture over at our house when I was a kid. She'd come over for holidays and um, was just really, really good friends with my dad. And uh, <laughs> I mean, she was, she was uglier in homemade sin. I mean, oh my God. <laughs> she, it, I mean, it was tough to look at her. Oh, no. Even as a kid. Oh, jeez. And she was a little itty-bitty stooped thing, and uh, she smoked cigars, and she drank the way my dad did, which I thought was completely normal. She'd stay for the weekend, and I'd come down on a Sunday morning, and they'd be sitting at the kitchen table with coffee cups filled to the top with scotch, and they'd both be chewing on cigars and drinking scotch in their pajamas solving the problems of the world. And I thought that was totally normal. Right. And she used to take me down to the tugboats, and which I just loved, loved, loved. And she was a, a really important figure to me because without anyone saying it, it was nevertheless impressed upon me that women can do anything. You know, why wouldn't a woman mm -hmm. run a tugboat company? Sure. And um, so I carried that with me. You know, I wound up in in the Coast Guard. And it, again, it didn't occur to me that I couldn't do it because I was a woman. 
Might be a lot of other reasons, but you know, <laughs> being a woman wasn't one of them. Anyway, um, I did not realize that she was an alcoholic as my dad was, but um, uh, years later, she did in fact sell the company, a millionaire many times over. And during that period, she and my dad had um, uh, organizations that they were involved with, charitable organizations. And they decided to pool their money and create a charitable foundation together and use that money to support their, um, their organizations. And when she, she sold the company and within three weeks she had moved down to Florida mm. and she was found dead in her home. She had drank herself to death. Really? And all I knew was that she had died and I just, you know, I was in college by then and, you know, oh, wow, I can't believe she died. And no one mentioned that it was because she was an alcoholic. And at that point, I didn't even know what alcoholism was, even mm -hmm. though I was getting started on my own little journey. Um, when I told my mother that I was, after she died, my dad had the foundation. He died, and so my mother and brother and I became the trustees for this foundation. And um, when, um, when I told my mom I wanted to do the Sober Living House and I was trying to figure out where I was going to get the money from, she said, well, why don't you use, mm -hmm. you know, the foundation that we have from your dad and Mary? And I was like, can I? And she said, I think it would be an incredible tribute to Mary since she was an alcoholic. Right. What? What are you talking about? <laughs> my mother explained to me, like, come on. So she was a drunk just like your dad. I had no idea. I had no idea. I thought they drank like normal people. I mean, that's what su successful people do. They drink a lot. They drink scotch for <laughs> breakfast. Sure. Don't you? Uh, I, 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 I don't, but that, you You'd know. be more successful if you did. <laughs> I'll see if I can add that to my list yeah, of just things ask, to try out. Just ask Mike. <laughs> oh. No, so anyway, so that's, that is where I have been able to get the funding to support this project. And I said, wow, this means I can buy a house. And that's what I did. I bought a house in Plattsburgh. And I've been able to use that foundation to support. The, and we called it the Mary DeVoe House mm -hmm. in honor of in Mary. In honor of Mary. I love that. I, I, in fact, did not know who Mary DeVoe was. And I assumed that there was some connection. But this is yeah. the first time I've ever heard that particular story. So you've been inspired by alcoholism your entire life, turns out. I'm not going to say inspired, but. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I love most about that story, too, is that your dad was an ally for a woman trying to, you know, to, to navigate her way in life in, in, in areas that were probably not familiar or common for women then. And I think that that's also. No, I mean, it was. I mean, because he would always say, and I'm sure he said it to Mary, and I mean, for all of his faults as an alcoholic, um, he would always say, women are the greatest untapped resource in the world. He's a very smart man. We're going to give him credit for that. That's a great, a great comment. Well, thanks, Laura. Well, Zadie, Miss Zadie, yes. how about yours? Isn't she beautiful? She is. She's fabulous. I know. Shucks. Oh, <laughs> shucks. So my connection to yes. alcoholism? Well, your connection to recovery, I to think, recovery is what I'm looking. To recovery comes from my connection to alcoholism. I married alcoholism. And when my alcoholic told me 18 years ago, I'm an alcoholic, 
I fortunately had very close friends, um, one in particular, namely Lori's husband, Wouter, who said, Zadie, come with me, we're going to a meeting. And that, that was on a Wednesday or a Tuesday night, maybe that was Monday night, it was Labor Day weekend, Monday night when you guys came over. And Wouter picked me up that Friday for my first Al-Anon meeting, which is a 12-step program for friends and family of alcoholics. And I have been in Al-Anon for 17 and a half, almost 18 years since that Friday night, all that many years ago. So you are, are you a supporter of somebody in recovery? No, I go as an excellent question because that's a really important point, Betsy. Um, I, I have been affected by alcoholism. Lori's been affected by alcoholism. I think. I go, <laughs> I go to Al-Anon for my recovery, uh, whether the alcoholic is still drinking or not, whether the alcoholic is alive or not, whether the alcoholic was uh, my boss, my husband, my mother. Your I have been friend. in my best friend. Best, yeah. <laughs> And I go to Al-Anon for my own recovery because if you, if you think about a disease in a family, think about somebody having um, childhood diabetes. The family around that child changes the way they behave. They change the way they eat. They change, they may change their sleeping patterns because of this other disease. And alcoholism is the same thing. When there's an alcoholic, in around a person, say me, I was finding that I changed how I behaved. I changed how I reacted. I changed the things that I reacted to. And some of those changes may, may be good changes. Some of those changes weren't. And so when I realized how much I had been impacted by somebody else's disease, I realized that I was impacted by the disease also, and I need a recovery. So I, I am in a 12-step program for my recovery. You. I love that. So I just want to get this straight. So you are a, a woman in recovery, married to an alcoholic in recovery, mm -hmm. best friends with a woman in recovery, and you are a woman in recovery married to a non-alcoholic in his own form of recovery. It's a very curious dynamic. And I think that um, I, I think that many relationships, both friendships as well as marriages, don't often have the type of success that your friendship and your marriages have. Am, am I right to assume that but that more often than not, both friendships as well as marriages are often broken up by mm -hmm. addiction? Yeah, and I, I absolutely. And um, I would, we had an interesting, we were talking about a date um, over the weekend and I was looking back at something, I was looking back to see what had happened on that date. And I wondered in the moment, the, Lori has three more years of recovery than, Lori's household has three more years of recovery than my household. And during that three years, when your household had gone into recovery and mine hadn't yet, we didn't see as much of you folks. And that 
it was a very different dynamic because up until your household went into recovery, we were constantly together. Your household goes into recovery. My household didn't yet. And that was a more distant three years. And then my household went into recovery and we, we reclaimed and built on the friendship we had established earlier. So you were friends before. How long have you been friends? Oh, I knew that question was going to come up. Uh, 1992 or three. 1992. Don't, Lori, <laughs> 1992 or three is close enough. Were you going to be exacting, Laura? No. Uh, <laughs> no, I was going to clarify. Okay. Not clarify. I was going to elaborate. Thank you. Go for it. We lived in Portland, Oregon, and um, my husband, Wouter was just finishing his fellowship in infectious disease. We both came from the East Coast. We both realized with two little kids at that point that living on the West Coast when the whole family is on the East Coast is a miserable situation because dragging little kids cross country to visit the family was... That's a big ask. Oh, it just... it. it you know, everyone always got sick. Everyone's schedules were a mess. It was just, it, it was really rough. And we missed the East Coast. We wanted to go back home. And it's funny. I think there's something about being East Coast people oh, yeah. that, it, you know, as beautiful as the West is, there is really something so very different. comforting for me about, about being yep, in the I East Yep, I agree. Now. I agree. So um, Wilder was literally going through the medical journals um, under the employment opportunities and there was one for Plattsburgh, New York. I'd never heard of Plattsburgh. I honestly, you know, I didn't think there was really anything <laughs> north of Albany except Montreal. Yep. yep. I really did. I mean, I was like, conception. Yep. I'd never heard of Lake Champlain. I just, but you know, it was back east. And Wilder saw an ad at CVPH in Plattsburgh, New York, and the contact person was someone named Zadie Lachlan. And I thought, wow, that's an interesting name. He oh, called I her. Didn't realize that's yeah. right. Because and this you was were back. In, you were the recruitment. Yeah, and a, this was before email was really in use, and so it was all phone call. It was yeah. probably the New England Journal of Medicine, and it probably that's said five one eight five six two seven four four one. Although I think we had an eight hundred number, <laughs> and I, I recruited Wouter, and well, I thought you recruited me. I'm getting there. <laughs> okay. And it's part of recruiting you, people to a community is helping their families assimilate. Sure. Because when you recruit someone to a community, that person goes to work, their life is all put together. It's very, you know, they all, they, they drop into a, an organism that's uh, moving, living, breathing. And it's families um, that need to, we need to make sure that they find people they like, schools that they like to have their kids in, um, jobs, uh, community organizations, whatever. And so a huge part of my job was phys as physician recruiter was the families. And um, so in the early days, I, and Lori and Wouter are extremely likable people. Yes, they are. I'll and agree with that. as it's turned out over the years, but initially it was my job 
to make sure that this. <laughs> so, she was so, so, are, you, are you saying that out of the gate it was you know you didn't you didn't just instantly develop this instantaneous well, I think we friendship? Did. Tell 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 Betsy what your mom said. So well, actually, let me set the stage. So Lori and Water we came out for the visit. Yes, the family. Lori. Oh, that's right. You're talking, aren't you? <laughs> so they were out for the visit, and because they were here and. Larry and Joan, Larry came with you, right? Your parents, or was it just your my mom? My parents, my parents came drove from up Boston because to to see their their children and grandchildren. And this was at the old Howard Johnson's, and you can take it from there. We were sitting around. We were having breakfast at the old Howard Johnson's, yes. and um, and I and was coming to pick up Wouter to take him to the hospital for the day so that oh, well, you'd okay. have the car because so that mother, was the kind so, of thing I thought about. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, yeah, she's kind of a planner. Yeah. <laughs> Love that about her. So do I. <laughs> so I came into the Howard Johnson's and your and mom so was... We, and, and, but I, no, actually, you've got the wrong day. We were leaving. We oh, were getting okay. ready to leave. So you, you were there to make sure that we actually got on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> You're done here. You're leaving now. Don't forget. Don't forget she your just, wife. <laughs> yeah, she, well, she'd had a weekend with us. So anyway, um, a very beautifully orchestrated Lori. weekend, I might add. Yeah, you did a really good job. And um, except for the real estate person. Okay. But anyway. Um, <laughs> must be a separate story there. <laughs> so we were sitting in Howard so Johnson's. So we were sitting in Howard Johnson's. Both of my kids were sick. Um, yeah. And they were two and not even one. Oh, and no, they were one and a few months, yeah. Gus and Garrett. No, on Lincoln oh, Gus. On Lincoln and Gus. On Lincoln Gus. And um, one of the pluses, Lori, of course, had been. You were sitting there. Okay. We were sitting there. And getting ready to go, and I was getting sick. The kids were sick. I was dreading this cross-country trip. Yeah. My mom's chatting away with Zadie, and Zadie had to get going. And when Zadie needs to go, she goes. <laughs> so she got up, and she's reaching across the table to shake my mother's hand. And my mother just looked at her and said, it has been so nice to meet you. And I know that you and my daughter are going to be very, very close friends. What? Really? Yeah. <laughs> I was probably thinking, yeah, right. Yeah, right. But, <laughs> yeah, okay, no, I need to follow that up with the, the first Christmas. Oh, gosh. Okay. So we moved so out here. So subsequently, you and Wouter and Annalika yeah, and Gus moved to Plattsburgh. Moved yep. to Plattsburgh. You solved the bad real estate thing and actually found a home. Found a beautiful home and arrived. And, and Wouter went off to the hospital. And so big part of your oh, early yeah. days... Yeah, I, you know, I'd get on the phone with Zadie and run my mouth, and I think she'd have a, a clock, and then she'd say, okay then, so um, I will talk to you tomorrow at, and she'd tell me what time. So she would call you every day? Or I would call her. You, so you were just checking to see if they were assimilating? This, you exactly, were, you and, were? and, 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 and it, it may not have been every day, Betsy, but we, we spent, a, we, as the physician recruiter, I, really focused on the whole family. Sure. This was helped by the fact that her two <laughs> oldest children and my two oldest children are, are virtually the same ages. Age, so yeah. they all started getting, it, it was very easy yeah. for all of us to get together because we had the kids in common. And so the kids could just run off and do whatever. Yeah. And, Trevor and I could drink. <laughs> yeah, and we so both households liked food. There was a lot of alcohol. Um, we, it, it sounds like 
when you say there was a lot of alcohol. There was a lot of alcohol. But this was the 90s. Well, I mean, also, no, this was two aspiring alcoholics. Well, there's that, <laughs> yeah. but. Yeah. There were also really, really wonderful times. Oh, my and goodness, Phenomenal yes. conversations. And we're, I mean, we're here all these years later, and now there is no alcohol. So it wasn't just oh, the alcohol. No, it, it, it was, really was It was a true it, connection. Which I think, I mean, that's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful yes. connection. I mean, really, to see your families together and to see you two. Well, see I us mean, together. Yeah, I mean, that too. And your families. I mean, there really is some deep-seated <laughs> oh you know, yeah. connection that's happened yes. over. But can I, I just want to tell one quick story about, um, in keeping with the friendship enduring and how it started, we came in June of 1994, Christmas Eve in 1994. We had Zadie and Trevor and their kids over for Christmas Eve. And we had already sort of established a little tradition, if you will, of having soup and meats and cheeses on Christmas Eve and just making a big deal about it as a family. And we invited them over. And at the end of, and everyone opened a present. And so, yeah. you know, it was so much fun. And, um, and Zadie said, let's get the kids on the stairs and take a picture. And so we had the four kids sit on our stairs, and Zadie said, I want you all to raise your hands. So the four kids, you know, Gus was just a few months old, and he's, you know, raising his little arms. And, um, and we got a picture of it, and Zadie said, wouldn't it be a riot if, when they're college age, they're at home and we're taking the same picture with them mm -hmm. in the same spot? And I actually thought, she's nuts. <laughs> that's <laughs> never going to happen. Yeah. Wow, that's kind of a stretch, isn't it? For 23 years, we had all four and then all six on those stairs in the exact same pose. Mm -hmm. One year, I wasn't even there. I was right. still in rehab. Right. Or no, I was still in Albuquerque. Albuquerque. I was in Albuquerque. And then Trevor was beginning his journey. And it didn't matter yeah. how bleak, how just bleak, yeah. you know, the situation was. That Christmas Eve happened regardless. And that picture. And, and gift that picture. and that picture. And actually, Zadie now has a granddaughter. And um, her son and his wife could not come out for Christmas this year. They wanted to. But they put their daughter on a set of stairs <laughs> and took a picture of her. And so. Can we Photoshop her in? Is that. Well, no, she has her own photo. Oh, she has her own photo for the next generation. She has her own. And the torch has been passed. The torch has been passed. And that has joined the pictures. That's a beautiful. Let's go back to Albuquerque for a second. I want to talk about what the disease of alcoholism does to the people around it a little bit. Um, when my friend Lori headed off to this sober living house in Albuquerque, she, you, you called me or you, you wrote me a letter or something. You called me maybe. And it was, you were describing, and it sounded like, um, a horrible, horrible situation. It sounded um, like her very life might be in danger. And <laughs> being in Albuquerque in the sober living well, hall, it was, it was it was pretty scuzzy. It, yep. I shouldn't say scuzzy. It was it scuzzy. Was, it, it, 
However, it was for felons. It, 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 Lori, it obviously did the trick. It was where oh, you needed yeah, to be at I the was. time. But meanwhile, she is on the phone with me talking about this. And so what do I do? I think, how do I help her? Of course. How do I help her? This was before I was in my own 12-step program. And I remember I called, I, I, I got the street address and I looked up churches nearby and I'm a Presbyterian. I called the nearest Presbyterian church and spoke to the minister and said, what do you know about this neighborhood? What can you tell me? And looking back, I think, good God, what was I, what did I think I was gonna do? Get on a plane and go rescue her? Meanwhile, her husband's made it very clear she is not welcome back. But here I am. Yep not in a program yet, not in recovery yet, believing every word, of hearing every nuance in the, in the voice of, of how awful this is. And I look back on that and, and I think, wow, I have come a long way. Now, m fast forward to my household going into recovery. So it was a Monday night, because it was Labor Day weekend. It was a Monday night that Lori and Wilder came over and um, uh, Trevor, I don't know. Well, it's no, it's no secret. He's an alcoholic. He said, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and so they made a plan and about getting to meetings and plan. so forth. Lori and Trevor and connected Lori with some men in, in, in recovery and made a plan for getting to a meeting the next day, so on and so forth. I was, was checking his vitals. I was <laughs> off the next day, and my friend Lori called me. And this is back when we still had house phones. So I can remember right. being on the house phone and Lori was delirious that Trevor was finally was coming. finally coming around. And meanwhile, my life had been shattered. I had no idea that this was such good news. And <laughs> I was like, "This no, we can't stop yet." Oh, okay. I, I was thinking, this woman is totally tone deaf. How can she be so? She was giggling. Trevor's he's going to he's going to twelve step. This is so great. Your life is going to change. This is going to be so wonderful. You're just going to love it. This is great. And I'm thinking. I got three kids, I've got a part-time job, I've got a, a my own business. What are you talking about? I have what are you talking about? And um, I look back and you know, spot on. And an extended family I love member when she says that. Yeah. <laughs> there was the allegation that you were right, right? Is that what you like most about this? Oh, yes. A friend of ours. Wait a minute, what was I getting? Spot on, Laura. You were spot on. Touchdown. And um, you you think about over generations. I, I was talking to our eldest last night, and our eldest was in ninth grade when our household went into recovery. And so old enough to know what it was like before recovery and old enough to really experience it and obviously experience it afterwards. And we were talking about the fact that an extended family member went to rehab about three weeks ago. And when um, Max was talking about how we have such an upbeat, you know, we hear someone's going to rehab and we're like, yes, Yay. hope it sticks, but this is really good. You know, it's not this hanging. Get planted. Yeah, it's not hanging crepe. It's not gloom and doom. It's not like, oh no, it's yeah. And I, I think about what it has meant. We were talking about our relationship, and it, yeah, it's a wonderful relationship. What's even more important is modeling for the long term, the planting of the seeds with now six children yep. and now a, an, another child in another generation where you talk about alcoholism, you talk about the impact of alcoholism. You have deep, deep friendships that you talk things through. You you go to a place, you go to these things called meetings, and it helps. Sure. 
Sure. Yeah. It is part of, I mean, this, this work that your families have done over all of these years, yeah. these conversations that continue, the fact that you've brought your families into the fold, they may not have, they may have kind of been born into it, but they've been party to yeah. it, is all part of how we are going to eventually eradicate the stigma of yes. the diseases exactly. that have plagued your exactly. families. This is, it's, it is really going to be generationally embedded in our children mm -hmm. that there's no crime and being an alcoholic, yeah. you may have had terrible behaviors that you've impacted your family, but it's not a crime. It's a and disease. It's a disease. And with work, it is it is potentially uh, f fixable. You can get on a road where, yes. where you can get your life back. So I just want to back up for a minute. And and so here you are in the mid-90s, and, and you've established this kind of friendship. Your families have gotten connected. Who was the first person that said, Houston, we have a problem here? I mean... It wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who was that the first one? intervention? Gosh, I get well, your two Wouter trips mixed up. Well, said to me, I don't know if you ever said anything to Trevor, but Wouter said to me, we were driving to Hull to visit my parents, and um, it was after Garrett was born, our third, and... Um, and out of, all of a sudden, Water said, Lord, I think you're drinking too much. And I thought I had, you know, I thought I had a heart attack. And but like, really? Well, yeah, you know, I guess maybe we, I, I guess we have been drinking, you know, a lot lately. So, you know what, let's just stop. Okay. Inside, I'm just... What the hell is he talking about? So you're just in a random car ride, and it, there's nothing inter-friendship where, and was there any conversation happening between you and no, Wilder? No. It was just Wilder we, saying, I think, honey, I think you were, you're drinking too yeah. much. And it wasn't even honey. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, which began a, um, oh my God, it took almost three years. Uh, it began the, um, you know, the outpatient, the psychiatrist, the doctors, the medications, the the whole tap dance of, you know, you know, this is probably just my childhood. This is probably just my diet. This is probably because of how I exercise. This is probably the stress of motherhood. It's probably because Trevor drinks so much. <laughs> really, it's, it's Trevor's fault that it's you know, probably because was. these are our friends and we don't want to hurt their right. feelings. Do you know oh, what I mean? You know, I think you might be right. <laughs> right? Oh, that's it. So, from the friend standpoint, yeah, I don't know when Zadie, it became. At, at what point did you did? I mean, along this way, were you ever kind of tuned into oh, yeah. like something's what? not not quite. not? Oh, uh, it just. I think back on what I was doing um, in terms of enabling, um, and I, 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 I just didn't know any better. Um, we would, Lori and I would take the kids for pizza or something, and one of my kids uh, would want to go home, spend the night at Lori's, um, and I would follow. I would drive home following them to make sure that they got home safely to her house. Lori's driving her car. Now, if... I'm drunk. Yeah. I was going to say, you if know she'd been drinking. If one doesn't... We, 
it wasn't very far. You hear the quali the rationalization in my tone right now? Sure. I, I did all that stuff. I would, we would get, we, we would have a glass of wine and um, if Lori, if we got up and were starting to get ready to go and Lori was putting her jacket on and that kind of thing, there were times where I would reach for her wine glass and I would finish her wine so she didn't. Wow. So you were already, as you were codependently making allowances to save, cover, help your friend. I would call friend. her at nine o'clock in the morning on some incidental thing to see if she was up and getting going with the day. I mean, it was just ridiculous. I. I so it's really, so, so you it were not, crazy. You, I and mean, I had no program. But you knew. I was trying to help. Clearly. You knew, you knew that there was, these oh, yeah. things Something were maybe not we didn't, quite but right, but you, about but it. you just kind of said, well, listen, I'm, I, these are my friends. I'm going to help them. I'm going to cover them. I'm looking out for them. I'm just doing my part because I can help because I'm woman. I'm strong. You know, these. I don't know if I thought all that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I've known Zadie a little while now. And just hearing her talk about it, it was not Zadie even wanting to help. It was Zadie being part of a system yeah. that we had created of everyone supporting the system. Yeah. It wasn't even helping the other person. It was making sure that this bubble that we've created is, going, is sustainable. So you're and calling so, the system your families, but yeah, this interdependence of, of this kind of, we know that there is, is behavior that's potentially dangerous, but we're going to protect our infrastructure, we're going to protect our system. I don't think it even and came I, to danger. Yeah, so I was, was going to say. Yeah, it wasn't I, dangerous. I didn't want to, Betsy, I couldn't make the connection that it was dangerous, because oh. if I made the connection, if I used the word dangerous, then I'd have to do something about it. So there's a whole bunch of words you can't use in those situations. So at what point did the conversation amongst the system, so outside of just you and Wouter, at what point did the conversations begin to bubble up amidst the friendship? And did that cause, was there, did that create trouble in paradise? Or did that then open up a whole new world for your friendship, your familial friendships? Well, again, I mean, when the first time I went to rehab, um, and you know, you were talking about the stigma of alcoholism, Wouter and I sure as hell weren't talking about my struggles with trying to. I mean, I wasn't trying to stop drinking because who wants to stop drinking? That's silly. Right. But trying to get my drinking under control, and we didn't talk about that to anyone. So you didn't know? Did you know? Of course that? she knew, but <laughs> she didn't acknowledge it. There's a big difference. You're absolutely right. She's spot on again. There's knowing and there's acknowledging. And what <laughs> would have happened? That. What would have happened? Lori, spot on. Twice in one And what would have happened if I'd acknowledged it? I don't know. I mean, my Lori was, I was working full time. Trevor was working full time. Lori was a godsend picking kids up, dropping kids off. It, you know, the, the, it, we had a system. We had a system. And everyone just we had there our was roles. a tacit yes we had our roles we, and there was a tacit agreement that we were all going to do whatever it took to keep the system 
moving. As we knew it. And we yes. Didn't know. And we didn't know. So, yeah, it didn't. So, so, of course, we didn't Did talk. I take you to rehab the first time or the second time? No, you the first time ambulance. I went to rehab was um, I called Zadie up at work. And I'm, oh, yes, okay, okay, okay. I know what I, I was know, wearing that day. And I'll let you take over because okay. at some level, I knew that I was, I, I just couldn't get this drinking. Like, I, I didn't know what to do. And and I never talked about my drinking with Zadie, ever. Because so you, you know, called me up at work. Called up at work, and in the fifteen minutes that I, or maybe ten that I was talking to her, I drank a quarter of vodka. What? A quart. So you called her that day to in say the morning, to say you were going to in rehab? No. no, 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 oh, no. Oh, just oh. a chat. Oh, oh, just a chat. <laughs> just a chat. And seriously, just a chat. Clearly, something inside of me was screaming for help. Did you know? And, she I, and, so, some, and I mean, after that, I don't really remember. So and so, can... so I remember a little bit about the conversation. I, I, I remember that I could hear Lori going downhill during the conversation. And so I went over to Wouter's office and, you know, again, no discussion of alcoholism. Didn't use the word alcohol. I said, I, I think something, something may be wrong. I'm going to your house. And I don't know what, I don't know, I don't remember his reply because frankly, I was so focused on the alcoholic. And I drove down to your house and I remember sitting next to you. I have no recollection. And um, Wouter came home a bit after that, um, probably fairly promptly. and. I don't, and then I went back to work, and then the next thing I knew, you, I get mixed up because there were two times. Yeah, you didn't come over <laughs> that time because that time, well, I, I guess I, I mean, I, I hope I passed out. Good Lord. Yeah. But at some point, I was aware that Wouter and Trevor were there. Oh, right. And yes. as oh, I became right. aware of what was going on, Wouter said, you're going to rehab. I'd never heard of rehab. I'd never heard of AA. I'd never heard of 12-step recovery. I didn't know there was such a thing as alcohol rehab. I mean, it just, I had no idea that world was out there. And so I didn't know what he was talking about. And he said, you're going to, um, you're going to rehab, we've got a bed for you, and um, whatever it was, it didn't sound good. <laughs> and so I promptly decided that I wasn't going. Oh, no, I'm not. So Trevor and Wouter decided they were gonna escort me out to the car to make sure that I you know, got sent on my merry way. And I really took exception to that, and I got away from them, ran to the phone, and called 911. <laughs> Really? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So uh, this I remember. The um, all of a sudden the cops are there, and you know I'm, you know I'm a quarter of vodka in, and uh, they're attacking me. They're oh yeah. In your mind? Well, what? Who okay. the hell? Uh, I I was out of my mind. <laughs> there was no in my mind at that point. The next thing I remember is that I was in the back of the squad car, and I was looking out the back window. <laughs> And Trevor and Water are standing on the porch, 
They took me to the emergency room. They had to strap me down. I tried to fire everyone in the emergency room. Don't you know who I am? Oh, yeah. Ah, oh, yeah. I bet. I can Wilder imagine. had literally that week taken over as medical director. Oh, my God. And I was in the emergency room screaming at all of them. Oh, my You're God. all fired. And then I'll just say for, for the benefit of anyone watching this who has any connection or might have a connection with alcoholism. Everybody was, was coming in and trying to say nice things to me. Yeah. And this is gonna be okay, this is, what it's, this is what you're gonna be doing at rehab, da 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 da. And I, I was wild, wild. And all of a sudden a guy came in and he was wearing a really sharp black leather jacket and pressed jeans and he had silver hair that was slicked back and he had the brightest happiest eyes and he smiled at me and he said you don't know me but I know you because you are just like me you are an alcoholic whoa it was Tom Lattonville really Yep, and he worked at Conifer Park, and yeah. he was the one that they'd contacted to make arrangements, and I went to rehab. Tom Lattonville has saved, uh, has saved many, many people in that situation. Yep, he was and one of my first contacts. I didn't get it the first time, you know? The first time I, uh, I was down in rehab, and once I realized I was kind of stuck, because uh, there wasn't no one coming to get me, um, my first step in 12-step recovery we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. Yeah, whatever. I admitted that there were a lot of people and there were a lot of assholes in my life who thought <laughs> I had a problem with alcohol and they were making my life unmanageable. And that was the only step I did. And so I did my little rehab and got straight A's. Of course. And Miss Congeniality and Best Dressed and, you know, cause of that's kind of how I roll. That's who you that's are. That's how I roll. Went home, did my 90 and 90, and highlighted every single word on every single page of the big book, because that way everyone would think I read it. And then I was fixed. All better. I was. I was. And then I told everyone, I'm good now. I've got this. I can go back to being the splendid, fun, vivacious, wonderful person I was before. Delightful. Oh, and that's when I learned that yeah. uh, being a dry drunk is as bad, if not worse, than being an active drunk. Right. And it was quite horrific, which brought me to, I mean, it really brought me to my knees. And, um, and the day before I got kicked out, and Zadie can talk about that day, but the day before was when I had realized I'm powerless over alcohol. I was up in our bathroom after dinner, I had found one of my stashes in my closet, and it was a, a pint of tequila, and I'd poured it into the bathroom mug. And of course, I'd been drinking all day. I had the stuff all over the place. Literally squirreled away all over oh, the yeah. house. So oh, yeah, oh yeah, 24 seven, 24 seven. And I was dying. Yeah. I weighed, Oh yeah. I, was, I weighed 80 something pounds. Um, I was passing blood 
through my bowels, which means you are dying. Mm -hmm. um, I was in a bad way. And I poured the tequila into the mug and I looked outside and the kids were playing in the yard. Wilder was out in the yard. The butterflies were flitting and the cats were jumping and, and I realized everything's perfect. There's mm -hmm. nothing. There's nothing, why am I drinking this? Like, yeah. you know what? I'm just not gonna drink this. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna throw this out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because I don't need this. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna throw this out. Look at my life. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm gonna throw this out. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna throw this out. Did I, did I tell you I'm gonna throw this out? You did, yeah. because yeah, it's just, I'm just gonna throw it out. Couldn't do it. And in that instance, I literally in the corner of my eye saw my husband's razor and it hit me. I would rather saw my leg off with that razor than throw this out. And I tossed it back, and I got on my knees, and I said, okay, God, I get it. I don't drink because I want to. I drink because I have to. Yep. I have to drink. So please, just take me. Just don't let me hurt the kids. Don't let me torture water anymore. Please, just, just end it. Oh. I get it. This is how it ends. Please, just make it fast. And then we go to the next day. And I drove you to numbers. rehab. Well, no, the next day was when you guys had the called you guys right? to come, come over. over. Yeah, and we talked. So did, this, was this the first time then you actually talked about? I think so. Out loud as a as a as a pod yes. of people that yes. were a system. Be because uh, because again, our household wasn't in recovery yet. So talking about what was getting drunk over at their house might actually end up impacting and self-reflecting back at our house. We didn't want to do that, but we were happy to go over to their house the next day and talk. We were sitting around the, the playroom, in, in the family room, and talking, and it was decided that you would go to rehab the next day. No, actually, I mean, what I remember is, you know, everyone was there. We had a babysitter who, um, oh, I, right. I came home from running errands, and <laughs> running errands, I mean, you know, running into the back of my van and, and tossing back. God knows how much, and came into the kitchen and I was just wasted. And our babysitter who knew that, you know, I'm supposed to be sober, because supposedly I was in recovery, right? And that's right. She... And I was screaming at the kids. And you know, I mean I was just I was a a nightmare. And she, God love her, she saved my life. She called Wilder and she said, I need to come up to your office and talk to you. And she drove up to his office and she said, Lori's drinking, and I'm afraid she's going to hurt the kids. Mm. And that's when water snapped. That's when his blinders came off. Yep. And he said, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. So. And that's when he called Zadie and them over. And, and Wilder, though, said, you're gone. You, okay. I don't want you to ever darken the store, doorstep so again. He was completely done at that yeah, point. And it, yeah, and it, you know, informed me that he had already, he was already in communication with a lawyer about getting a divorce. And, you know, I was not allowed back at the house. I better not go to the schools. I better not go to the play. I just, you do not come anywhere near these children. Wow. I can't do anything about you, but you are not going to destroy my children. Wow. And they were all there. And I remember loving, supportive. You know, I think Zadie was trying to say, what he means is that he loves you so much. That <laughs> and we drove down to Conifer Park the next, the next day. Because yeah. Wilder said, you figure out how to get to Conifer. So, you know, 
I'll take care. I'll do that. I'll take her. And the whole time we held hands driving down the Northway. And uh, I, I think part of me was afraid she was going to open the door and pop out. I don't know. But I, I don't think I was holding her hand out of love. I think I was holding her hand just to got to keep a grip on this situation here, literally, and dropped her off. Dropped her off, and then this time. The night I was kicked out was when I, when yeah. the miracle happened for me. I mean, I was driving down the north, driving down Route 9. Sun was coming up, or the moon was coming up over the lake. And I heard that little voice in my head from meetings, the few meetings I'd been to, that anything you put in front of your recovery, you're going to lose. Mm -hmm. And I just said, okay, then. well, that's, <laughs> that's what's happened. I've lost it all. And I guess this is when... It's all supposed to end. And out of nowhere, it was like truly like a wind blew through my van. And I wanted to live. Mm. For the first time since I was a young child, all I could think was that I wanted to live. And I just said out loud, okay, God, I get it. I get it. I can't drink ever again. I get it. But I can't not drink. I, I get that mm -hmm. too. God, please, please let me live, and I will go anywhere. I will do anything that you put in my path. I will, I will move to Nepal and live on a mountaintop and raise sheep <laughs> and knit and be a nun. If that'll right? stop me from drinking. Yeah, I mean, because that was the worst thing I could think of at the time. Right, right. And, but please, and well, I found... Paul doesn't sound that bad, does it? No. I don't know. The Paul sounds kind of cool, but maybe not the knitting, but I don't know. And the being a nun. Yeah, yeah the nun part. Yeah, yeah that Anyway, be... <laughs> that's the best I could do. You know, I mean, I was drunk. Anyway, I found a motel, and first thing in the morning, I had one phone number in my wall, wallet, and it was Tom Lattenville's. And I called him up, and I was hysterical. I think I need to go back to rehab. <laughs> And all I heard on the other end of the phone was <laughs> laughing. Right. <laughs> and Tom said, you think? <laughs> and Zadie brought me to rehab. But I had surrendered. So the joy, the joy of recovery came, you know, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a oh, message yeah. that, you know, clearly when, and now we fast forward a bunch of years when, when Trevor decides that he's, or you decide well, for him. No, no, no. He, he, he decided. And, um, uh, yeah, um, thank goodness. Holy Toledo. Um, so here's my, my, my question is, so now you're here, your, your, your pod has now, or your, your system has been a little bit interrupted, and alcohol is now kind of the, 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 the cat's out of the bag, right? The, there's, there's a problem in our, yeah. in our system. And so your friendship kind of doesn't spend For as much three years. time together. There's a period yeah. of time when, uh, when things are a yeah. little bit... But you and Trevor are not engaged in, in further conversation recovery. Nope. about recovery, about, nope. wow. This... No, we talk about her recovery, <laughs> or lack thereof. <laughs> and I would go over, um, I would sometimes go over to the house in the evening so Wouter could get to meetings. Um, but again, I couldn't look at what was going on in my house. Right, right. So the, It was the kids who were all so close that were basically yeah, the glue that at that very, point. Very the kids kept glue. your families together yeah. at that point. Yeah. So uh, 
so your friend comes back and, you know, eventually after being, you know, exiled to Albuquerque to go waitress for pennies to just have enough money to buy snacks or something, right? No, to pay for being there. Oh, to pay for living no, $2 there. $2.10 an hour plus tips. Plus paid tips. 600 bucks a month for me to That's live there. a lot of... $2.10 an hour So your recovery then starts after all My of My recovery the- waited. I wasn't ready for recovery. I wasn't ready yet. And it is interesting because it took my qualifier saying that he was an alcoholic and... And, and Wouter being right there to say, okay, Zadie, here we go. It took, it took that f- for me to get into recovery. And, and, and I think that's a blessing, Betsy, because if I, I don't have to know because it didn't go that way, but I think if I had been in recovery and s- before Trevor, and if I had come to understand what had happened to me and what had happened to our family, because of alcoholism, Trevor always says it, it, denial saved our marriage. And I think if if the lights had come on for me before they had come on for him, um, our paths, it, it would have been a very different path. You might not have stayed married. I, it would have been a very different was path. There, was there any conversation between you and Wouter Nope. About so Wouter what so Wouter clearly not taking the position. I'm not judging your life. I'm really just hanging on trying to take care yep. of mine, which I think is an incredibly powerful part of Al-Anon. Is yep. is you know that finding Focusing that it's not my ourselves. job to save right. others. My job right. is to save me. Yep. Right. So I, I I respect so much that yep. because he must have clearly seen all the warning signs. Well, that. and then and Lori did too. You you were describing me to a friend. Remember that story? A friend who'd never met me. You had you oh, were talking. Oh Yeah. Um, well, no. Go ahead. And you would you were describing your friend Sadie, who lives in Plattsburgh. We spend a lot of time together. This is what she's like. And your friend said to you, is "She is she is she married to an alcoholic?" Because of the way I was so regimented. Yeah. <laughs> Regimented, Lori. Yeah, regimented. <laughs> regimented. It's not controlling. It's regimented. She's a planner. Oh, there goes my joke. She's my a joke. planner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, she's gonna be, it's gonna be the electric shock collar. Exactly. Lord, stop. But, you know, is it, you raise an it interesting is so, remarkable. So, so clearly, for, I mean, so for clearly. three years we would get together and everyone would just politely, you know, if it was at my house, obviously there was no alcohol, and we didn't go to your house because, you know. They didn't want to tempt me, you know. Sorry. That that wasn't even remotely it. And we right. knew, and of course, Wouter and I talked about what was, you know, we could see it yeah. unfolding right in front of us, and um, and it. Um, sorry, you? That's yeah, me. but it's done. Um, we could see it unfolding, and so you know, we would talk about it, but. We also knew because of our yeah. own experience, there was nothing that the worst thing we could possibly yeah. do, because we're talking about, it. We, I mean, it was a no brainer. The worst thing that we could do would be to suggest that, you know, you guys might want to try this. 
Yeah. Right, right, which is an interesting, you know, you, you have to ask yourself now, based on all of the work that you both have done in recovery, um, you, I'm sure now you see others and you'll see people that maybe have come into the rooms or into the programs and you can see kind of where they are in their path and their journey. But even for people that are not, yeah. you know, I think you, you have to be looking saying, I know what could help you if only, but that's, that's just, is that the, not a we conversation? Talk, we, it, correct. It is not a conversation um, that I would ever have with somebody. We talk about 12-step um, programs being um, attraction, not promotion. Absolutely. And somebody who, people, you know, it's only actually in the last couple of years that I have made it clear to some people at work that I'm in a 12-step program because if people are out of out of context, if if you say you're an alcoholic or you say you're married to an alcoholic or whatever, everybody everybody goes, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, that must be really hard. Right. Well, actually, it's not because <laughs> it was hard I, when he was drinking. I have a place I can go, and even if alcohol, well, if. I don't, I don't know that I will ever, I don't think I will ever live with active alcoholism again. I, I may love an active alcoholic, but I ain't living with them. And here, here. so it, I have a place, I have a place to go, it, not just physically for meetings, but I have a place, I have a, pro, I have a program yeah. and I know what to do. Now, do I use it every day? Absolutely not. Do I do my readings every day? Absolutely not. Do I, Thank my higher power for all the incredible things in my life every day. No, shut up. I just, <laughs> it's just, I know what to, I know what to do. And either when there's a tremendous amount of joy or a tremendous amount of sorrow, I, I think about how a 12-step program, um, my, my father passed away a little over three years ago. And because I have it was an incredible couple, it, it was a two week period where he was acutely ill. And even in, there were moments there where uh, th th there was one particular moment where I, I, I helped dad stand up. And I was very close to him and I was, I leaned my head, he has a, he had a fleece jacket, it, it just, it was him. And it smelled of him and it was wonderful. And I leaned my head against it. And in that moment, it was, it was pure joy. We knew what was going on, but because I had a program that, it that teaches me to be in the moment and to see what is right here in front of me, I was able so many times, there are so many times when I can enjoy what's right here. And that's one of the many gifts of the program. So I don't know how I got onto that, but recovery isn't about, uh, it's about relationships. It's not about relationships with an alcoholic or addict. It's about my relationship with the world. And I am a better parent. I'm a way better friend. <laughs> I am a better colleague. I am a better spouse. I am, um, I, there's so many things in my, everything, not so many things, 
Every single thing in my life is enriched so through I, recovery. I think that you were coming back at this, you're not necessarily openly sharing at work that I'm in, I'm in a program of any kind because you, there is still this kind stigma. of, the, the stigma, people are just looking at you like, poor you. Yeah. And yet what you're saying is that, no man, I'm not poor <laughs> I'm me. I'm one of the lucky ones. I got, I, I have this life because I'm in recovery. I have this joy for life. I have this opportunity for life because I have recovery and, and, and I, have, I, have, I have a foundation that, yeah. that raises me up. So not poor me, you know, if, if you need it, you can have this too. All your, all, it's your bunny, not, yeah. you know. It's interesting, I have a, 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 a really good friend of mine um, who is, uh, she is off on a, 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 a life journey right now with a, with a man who's in recovery and she's not. And, and she said, so she, she always calls and she says, so tell me, what, what can I do to navigate yeah. this life with this, you know, with this man? He's very connected to his recovery community. She's not in recovery. I said, you know, I don't know much about much, um, except we can talk about here are some of the things that have to do with living with, a, with a, an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. um, and what I know about an alcoholic in recovery, I said, but more importantly, what are you doing for you? What, you know, what foundation, what program are you putting around you? Have you considered finding a support system that helps you understand the you side of this equation? Yes. And, uh, and, I, and I hope she finds her way. So I'm asking, I think I'm asking you, Zadie, advice you have for people that are, um, if, if, it's, if advice is the right word, is there is there something that you can that you recommend for people that are living with uh, living with somebody with addiction issues or alcoholism? Um, is or or are you saying that this is a this is a uh, uh, what's the word when when a path has to kind of take its own way? Um, Just as with active alcoholism, when you're in the family situation, a couple of things. How has what you've done so far worked for you? Mm -hmm. And probably isn't working all that well, because here you are in this situation of not knowing where to turn. And thinking about our best thinking got us here. I mean, it, believing that I can have some impact on somebody else's behavior through controlling the behavior is, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't cause it. I can't control it. I can't cure it. Um, it, it took a tremendous amount for me to actually turn the focus on myself mm -hmm. because it was always about the others. Somebody else's problem. And yeah. I, I tell newcomers and anybody, and I tell myself, the good news, again, I go to Al-Anon, the good news about Al-Anon is, is, is it's all about me. The bad news about Al-Anon, it's all about me. Right, right, right. That's the two sides of recovery. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I think one of the conversations that we had earlier, you know, um, we were talking um, here uh, amidst the, the crew, uh, our podcast crew, fabulous podcast crew, Telly and Bryn. We're talking about all the things you want for your kids as they're growing up, and especially those of us that have been impacted by alcohol. You know, you don't want your kid to have, suffer from ADHD. You don't want your kid to, to struggle academically. You don't want mm -hmm. your kid to not have friends when they're growing up, but all the things you really don't want for them is you don't want them to have alcoholism or addiction because it's a, it's a life sentence, right? 
Um, no. Mm, no. Yeah, I'm with you, Lori. You no, 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 no. It's oh, not a life God, sentence. no. Well, but it's a life Oh, being well, an alcoholic is the best thing that ever happened to me. It, really? Oh, my God, yes. It has... And, and my dad, who was an alcoholic, was so proud of my recovery mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so grateful. And he would always tell me, you are the first one in because either he never, he never. Oh, God, no. He, he, he always he, said, you're the first one in the family who ever had the balls to do it. Wow. And he said, you, finally, from both families, your mother's and mine, you are the first one to break the cycle. You are breaking the cycle. I love that. And he just said, I never had the balls to confront my demons. It just, and, you know. That's how he died, but I was with him, so it was all good. Great man. And Betsy, you just used but, the word yeah, demons. If I hadn't been an alcoholic, I was still going to have grown up in that same household. Sure. I was still going to have grown up feeling like I wasn't smart enough. I mean, these are my, you know, my issues, my causes and conditions. Not smart enough, not pretty enough, not good enough, not worthy enough, not never enough. Mm -hmm. And what do I have to do to count and be enough? and I have to be bigger than life, and I have to manipulate, and I have to lie. You know what's amazing to me, Lori? I, gotta, I have to say, so I look at you from the outside in, and oh, you, are, you are this amazing woman. You have this big, beautiful home. You were 10 years in the Coast Guard, giving your heart to your, to your, in service of your nation, and thank you are for you your service. No. And, you know, you're a, a graduate of Notre Dame. I mean, you are, like, in Bougieville. You're like, how can you, of all women, not stuff, be enough? Those were all props. It, boy, they were, a, they were a, wonderful props. Yeah. They were props that I hid behind. I never would have had to confront my demons if, it had, if I did not have a disease that brought me to my knees. And I want to go back to the life sentence concept, which is what you're talking about, demons, life sentence. <sighs> I, maybe there's somebody out there who has no problems. I don't know. <laughs> and, 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 who didn't, I, I don't know. There are perfect lives, there probably. Are? I, I, I don't think so. I, I don't know, but let's just assume there are. Which I think we all believe somewhere in our, in our and, hearts, and, or someplace no, in our heads we think that. And, that and okay. the, the thing she is that if it's, I, I believe that I'm not, I haven't had to confront, how do I explain it? I know what my problem, I know what my main problem is, the impact of alcoholism on me. We all have problems. We all, there is so much tragedy and, there's also so much joy, but there are so many negative things that happen over the years. I know what mine is. I know what the main one is. And so I have a place to go. And I'm not, I'm not wondering what is wrong with me. Mm. I'm not wondering what do I do. Right. I know what to do. Um, you and have a plan. There is no one right thing. I just happen to be fortunate enough to have found something that works for me. There are plenty of people who are married to or parents of, uh, affected by alcoholism, and they don't go to a 12-step program themselves, and life becomes fuller and richer because of the understandings they get from the addiction and, and alcoholism in other people. 
I'm not saying it's the only answer. It, it does work. But go back to your original question. We both took exception to the comment about I life know. sentence. Go, go, go back to your original question. You were getting at something else. Well, listen, you know, I, wanna, I just want to qualify by saying maybe addiction might be a life sentence, but supposedly so is marriage, right? And that's not, I don't necessarily right. mean it in the, in like a terminal. Although, yeah, yeah, let's yeah, be yeah. honest, life is in general yes. terminal. Yes. Um, but a life sentence is that, that I think I know the weight of, of what addiction does to the lives of the people yes. it impacts, whether yes. the addict themselves or the family yes. around them. So I think, I think from that kind of life sentence, you know that once addiction um, becomes the known commodity in your life, you know that there is suddenly a new weight. Because at that point, you have to do something about it, right? right? Yeah, if once you right. know it, once you say it, once you acknowledge it, then it's really, it's really, a, it's really incumbent upon us to do something about it. Now, sometimes the doing something about it is denying it, hiding yeah. from it, uh, you know, which only adds to the weight, yes. I think, of the problem. But, okay. but I think that it's, it, it's just a life sentence that takes you down a different path because I think we all come into a certain part of this world thinking, if only this would happen, our, my life would be perfect. Yeah. Right, because there are people that, and I think it's a mis, uh, I think it's a falsehood that everybody's that there are people out there whose lives are perfect. I think that we, those of us that have been positively impacted by recovery, have found a place where we've taken a path that has brought our life sentence to the right place. We've come to the good place where we have we we know that although we have this thing that's mm -hmm. part of our world, it doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't bring us down. It raises us up, yes. thankfully. Thankfully, addiction came into your world. Yeah, so it becomes could... a catalyst. It becomes yes. a catalyst for change. Mm -hmm. And, you know, things that cause change, it doesn't matter what they look like. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what the stigma it might be. It doesn't matter what, um, it doesn't matter what you call it. It doesn't. Something that causes profound change. Um, it's good. It, it can be either very, very bad or very, very good. Yeah. Um, diseases, and alcoholism is a disease, but there are plenty of diseases that cause, that are a catalyst for catastrophic change in family. It doesn't have to be bad. Right. You with know, alcoholism losing, and addiction. Yeah, and well, and with any disease depending on how the family embraces it. And, you know, it's, you know, once there's a willingness to open myself up to receiving all of the love that is available to me mm -hmm. and, and knowing that not only do I not have to do this by myself, I'm never going to be able to do it by myself. Yeah. And I can either open myself up to more fear about what's going on in my life, you know, a job loss, a breakup, uh, whatever, you know, life event is causing, you know, things to really start to spin. And I can open myself, well, actually, I can close myself and live in fear, or that event, that disease, whatever it is, if I'm lucky, and I am one of the lucky ones. I can allow myself to be opened up to all of the love that is available to me. 
And there is so much more love out there than there is fear. Right. There's so much, there's so much more good power in the love mm. that's around you. Absolutely. Yeah. Getting to that point <sighs> took me 12 steps. Yep. You know, it yeah. took me 12 steps yeah. to get to that point, yeah. you know, starting with the word we, which happens to be the first word in the first step of 12-step recovery programs. And when I went from I am an alcoholic to we are in recovery, we is always more powerful than I. Absolutely. Well, maybe not always. <laughs> you know, there might be some, ex yeah, yeah. Betsy, you had, you had it, it appeared at the beginning of our time together that you had some specific points you oh, wanted yeah. to, oh, to cover. Let's see. Are there we, things, we've ranged all over the place. We have. Um, and I think that quite frankly, Zadie, we have, uh, we have tackled most of them. One of mine was, uh, uh, you know, the, the under, uh, speaking to the balance of friendship, speaking uh, uh, secrecy, words unspoken. I mm -hmm. mean, I think we absolutely yeah. got through those uh, many years. Um, there is the piece about humility and recovery and, and, you know, dropping to your knees. And I think, quite frankly, Mike said, yeah, ask Lori about when she really got humility. Um, and so I think that that was round two, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And for, for the record, Mike, M. Heb Mike, who's not here to join us, wanted me to remind you, Lori, that he's got 10 more years in recovery than you do. So for whatever that's worth, that one's for you, Mike. Um, um, we also discussed uh, the challenges. I'm going to try to think about the time that everyone in the rooms had to take him out into the parking lot to sort of set him straight on things. And he wasn't drinking then, but as I recall, life wasn't really great yet. Ah. I wonder if he counts those years as being in re But whatever, I, I, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Recovery is not a competition. <clears throat> By the way, <laughs> who said that? Next, <laughs> next point. Next point. Um, so uh, my other things were about challenges for couples: one in recovery and one not. Many people don't make it, um, and and I love it that your friendship and your marriages all work. In yeah. you know, it's an interesting circle from where you met to where you are today. Oh, it's, it's a beautiful. It's, it's a beautiful story. Um, and then the other piece was you know I, I look at you two women and and so I I mean. None of us are, or at least I'm not originally from here, you're not originally from here, and neither are you. And we've met over the past 20 some odd years, on again, off again, some through children. And you know, I've always looked up to and admired both of you women so much for the things that you do in your life. Uh, you know, really the you know the, the the families that you have. I mean, your children are all amazing and profound and, and just really <laughs> great people. Betsy, they Betsy. are. Your, your, your daughter, Zadie, in Betsy. fact, she's just, yes. They're kids, and they're young adults. Wow. They're, it, it, it's, it's and, and, and sufficient under the day. Uh, for today, everybody is accounted healthy. for, and everybody's healthy. And yeah. but for, this is my view, so okay, I get to, right. I get to yes, have my, you, stop qualifying. Betsy, you are absolutely this right. This is my vision. So I found your, I know your children, they are Right, just beautiful children with just, I think, a wonderful view on their own life and the world around them. And I think that that's because of who you are, the, the people you are. And, and had I not been privileged enough to know a little bit about yeah. From where you've all come, I, you know, one of my notes says these two women from these very bougie backgrounds and their life is perfect. In my mind, 
knowing you then and knowing you now, I thought you were perfect, and now I just think you're fabulous. And it yeah. doesn't have to be perfect right. to be fabulous. So I am grateful to know both of you. I'm grateful to know the path and the story. Um, you are still, even if you're not perfect, you're still an inspiration to me and I think many people around you. So I am just eternally grateful for your friendship and, and uh, getting to share some time and space with all of you. So I think that we should maybe consider wrapping up um, I, uh, this has been Recovery Uncovered. I hope we've uncovered a few things for you all and brought some, uh, shed some light, uh, opened some eyes and shared some stories so that we can all feel connected uh, uh, through life. So thank you, Lori and Zadie for joining me today. We really you, appreciate you being here and, and telling you. your stories. And thank you to everybody who's gonna watch this podcast. This is important stuff, and you guys at MHAB are doing amazing, Thank amazing you. work, and it's really important work. We are. Uh, Thank you. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks again. Recovery Uncovered out. Thanks for joining us today at Recovery Uncovered. No matter where you are in your recovery journey, or if you're supporting the recovery journey of a loved one, just know today is the first day of the rest of your life. Visit our website at mhab.org. And if you want to become an old timer in recovery, don't use and don't die. This has been Recovery Uncovered.